Hey, you're listening to Drawing the Line. I'm Roman McCutcheon. And I'm Brad Reeves. And today we're going to talk about the interpretation of Scripture. I know it doesn't really sound exciting, but it really is. We're going to have a great time. Let's get started. Episode four. I mean, it's a month, Brad. Wow. I mean, happy one month anniversary. We did it. We did it. <laughs> I mean, that's it's cool. I mean, I'm just I'm glad that we were able to be consistent, I guess. And we have we have some people that are listening and have given good feedback. And um, I'm you're, ce- to you're celebrating with a cup of coffee too. Yeah, absolutely. So, I I think it's deserved. <laughs> so podcast central smells like coffee. I think that means we're going to be amped up for this one today. Yeah, I mean, scripture and the interpretation of scripture and maybe how we look at it or how other people look at it. And I, I mean, it's, it's a big subject, but one that is, is a necessary just conversation to have. Absolutely. And I think um, whenever you start, first of all, talking about scripture, um, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got a way they see scripture. Everybody's got a way they see the Bible. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got sort of a different way they use the Bible. So I want to make sure as we're talking through today, we're thinking about these really big questions too. Like, you know, what, what is this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we use it? Maybe think about how, maybe how should we use it? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's more than, it's more than a book. I'd like to say, I'd like to say, I mean, I, I, I mean, it is in its literal meaning, literal whatever, is is a book, but um, hopefully we use it more than just we would any other kind of book. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? I think it makes sense in my head. I, I Well, I mean, to your point, it is a book, but um, you, one of my favorite phrases, um, and I say that somewhat sarcastically, is the phrase Bible-believing church, uh, because i I have yet to run into a Bible disbelieving church or at least one that says it's a Bible disbelieving church. So it's one of those things that um, they, they don't say that about any other books, right? Yeah. So they, that that's the book they say that about. So there must be a reason why they're maybe trying to, like I said, like, does that really distinguish you from the other churches who are disbelieving the Bible? <laughs> maybe not, but Bible believing church. So it, it has a special place uh, for Christians for sure. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I want to think about, okay, what, you know, what is it? How do we use it? And I mean, yes, I understand we've got mostly Christians listening to this, but let's not forget about non-Christians too, and maybe how they see the scripture and how they see us using the scripture and what that looks like, Mm -hmm. um, the way we read and interpret and use scripture. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, let's just start with, you know, I I guess what makes sense to do it in order would be what is the Bible? And I mean, in in short answer, it's God's word. Um, And I mean, you could reference second Timothy that all scripture is God breathed. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. Look at that. That's the other three sixteen, right? Yeah. You just have to know two, and you're like halfway there, right? Yeah. And and so once you got that, then you basically have it all together. Way to go. If you don't know where it is in the book, just say three sixteen, <laughs> and you're going to be right twice. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and so I mean, I, I, all right. So it's it's God's word, and I just want to point out again. I understand we got mostly Christian listeners, but I want to point out at least the underlying assumption. So the underlying assumptions that we're making in that statement when we say it's God's word is that this particular word is is inspired, uh, carries special weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure as we're going to talk about, y- you would acknowledge it was written by human beings, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we have something that was written by people, but... Christians ascribe to it a certain amount of weight, a special place, because it is God's word. Christians see it as the, we're going to get to this word, but the inspired word of God, Mm -hmm. that that God uh, had something to do. God was part of the process in this being written down and, and maybe even getting it to us today. Yeah, I mean, there are approximately 40 authors of the Bible, 
I think something maybe like 35 that we know of. I think I remember that from one of my classes. Right, right. <laughs> um, and and so, I mean, that when you're leaving, um, when you're putting something like this in, in human hands, there is, and, and that's that's not even getting into, you know, it being translated and then sure. put into um, different versions. Oh, gosh. Right. You know, I mean. All the translation uh, decisions that are made. and Yeah. So, I mean, you're leaving a lot of, a lot of room for error. And, um, I mean, as, I mean, you can go back and you can see that, you know, the, the, the first, like, King James Version, I mean, it had errors i mean there were there were there were typos there were i mean there were things that were you know missing or things that were added because that's what was you know quote supposed to be in there or not supposed to be in there at the time like trying to decide you know what is inspired what is not inspired i mean you can look at you know the the you know catholicism who has the apocrypha in there and then the protestants who mainly don't and well, even let, let's just stick with the 66 books that are generally accepted, but mm-hmm. we don't have to get into the Gospel of Thomas or anything like that. Right. But the 66 books that are generally accepted to be Scripture, mm-hmm. you know, when these books were first uh, translated from the original languages, whether it was Hebrew primarily for the Old Testament, uh, Greek uh, for the New Testament— there were all sorts of decisions that had to be made at the time that these were translated into other languages or, or when the Hebrew mm-hmm. uh, was translated into the Greek Septuagint, you know, from the Old Testament. There are all sorts of decisions that had to be made. Um, as anybody who, who knows more than one language knows, mm-hmm. many times there's not a direct translation. And so certainly, you know, there were human decisions that were made that uh, were... And those decisions could have been influenced in many ways. Maybe some, maybe some of those decisions were inspired. Maybe some of those uh, decisions were inspired politically, or inspired right. culturally, or inspired uh, religiously by what the current practice was. Mm-hmm. So we have sort of all those things moving. We're not going to be able to nail down all those things, yeah, but I no, think we, we just want to make sure uh, we don't maybe make this too straightforward and too black and white and let you know that there are some other issues out there mm-hmm. um, when we're talking about, you know, how the scripture developed and what it was from the time it was written down until the time that we're now reading it in English after it being translated through mm-hmm. a couple of languages. Yeah, I mean, it, it has definitely, um, it has transformed over time. I mean, you can... Um, and, and that's a word that some people don't like to hear when it comes to the Bible. But I mean, if you were to, I was able to this past summer, um, go to, man, I wish I could remember the name of this library, but it was in Houston. It's actually really cool. I did not know it existed, but it had, um, I mean, it had like one of the, the, the first King James, um, Bibles there. And I wish there was a, there's a date on it. I can't remember what what the date is, but I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. And then, I mean, and then you could, you could see it and they go from like that one to, you know, coming into modern times as it was, you know, updated from, from that point until now. And, um, I mean, the, that transformation was crazy. I mean, it was, it was, it was cool to be able to just sit there and see it and maybe, Maybe that's like the minister nerd in me. I don't know, but I, I, I was so captivated by the idea that um, that was able to change over time. Due one to just knowledge in general, um, you know, we have we've been able to as a culture and as society and, and people learn more about how you know the Greek and Hebrew were written and you know word usage and you know I mean yet again we could we're die we could dive into a really deep well when it comes to all of this but I right. I, I think that if we can stick to the 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 66 books in a modern time frame um, that's going to help out you know at least you know sort of keep things sort of neat and tidy when we can when we're talking about how you know how we interpret and, and and how we go about reading the Bible and maybe giving it to somebody else today right yeah and, and and but at the same time acknowledging even with 
even if we're agreeing on those 66 books that, you know, I certainly grew up, I think, initially thinking that Jesus spoke in the King's English, <laughs> right? right? That, yeah. that, you know, the King James was the authorized version. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there, there are, there are still churches oh, yes. and to, to say, you know, if we go back 20 or 30 years, there were even more churches, but there are still churches where that is the only authorized mm-hmm. uh, version. And it, and they sort of treat it like this was actually the language that was spoken and the yeah. way in which it was spoken. Mm-hmm. So we just want to, again, just acknowledge that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a number of translations out there and there's a number of ways that Christians have treated uh, translations over time. So, um, yeah, I don't think we're not going to necessarily be going to the King James today, are we? I'm, I don't plan on it. <laughs> Um, but and and you know it doesn't get a whole lot of usage on my Uversion app. It it honestly it it doesn't for me either. But I will say I do use a lot of different translations when I'm oh when me I, too when I'm studying. Just not that one. Oh it's no, not, it's not particularly. It's just not particularly helpful. Right. I'm not good at reading it. Right. Like, I feel in all honesty, like there are times when I just feel dumb. Well, maybe what it does, and this is getting us into some of these deeper issues, maybe one of the things it does that's not a good thing is it creates a distance between the text and the reader. Yeah. Because it's not written in mm-hmm. a way that we can readily understand. For sure. It's just like uh, my uh, one of my sons right now is is reading Lord of the Flies. Ooh. And... Um, you know, the, the way, the, the language that it's written in, even something written, even we're all English speakers, but something written, you know, in, in, in British English or, mm-hmm. or from uh, Australian yeah. uh, English, it's, it's, going to, it's going to hit us a little differently. And mm-hmm. so maybe one of the things, if, if there is something, and I think we both believe there is, if, if there is something powerful and valuable about Scripture, to me, anything that creates a barrier between us and that Scripture you know, we should try to get rid of those things as yeah. much as possible. Hopefully, we can make the scripture more accessible mm-hmm. um, for ourselves, for other, for you know, for for kids, for people growing up. Um, you know, just getting exposed to it. Yeah, and and I think one of the big barriers, which is what we're going to talk about today, is being able to understand what it's trying to say yes. or what it is saying. And um, people use two words for the most part, when they're talking about trying to figure out, trying to figure out what scripture is trying to say, they use hermeneutics and they use exegesis. And those are very similar. um, But the biggest difference is hermeneutics is essentially how one can interpret. And exegesis is the actual interpretation. Right. And, um, and so that that even that in of itself sounds pretty similar, but there there is an actual difference. It's it's one is you are actually doing the interpretation, finding the actual meaning, and then the other you know hermeneutics is just figuring out how to actually do that. And there's there's several different ways. You know, I could you know we can get really into that. There's four major ways to get into hermeneutics. I kind of nerd out when it comes to this stuff because I'm I'm a big fan. I, I like the idea of you know looking at the scripture from different points of view. Um, because I, I mean, I, I would say that most people that grew up in the church, okay, I won't say most, I'll say some people that grew up in the church were probably told that there's one way, that's how it is. So I was always going to be, that's the way you're going to look at it. And it's not going to change and it's never going to, and, and like, you have no option for it to change. That's just, that's scripture. And that's how it's always going to be. And I'm not a fan of that because of what you had said earlier about that can create a barrier for people, which then can push people away. They feel like it's something they can't get over. And so they're just stuck. And it's like, well, if I can't get over this, there's probably something else. Or, you know, maybe this is super important for who I am. And, you know, now I'm out. I'm done. Like, I I can't have, I don't have time. I I'm being pushed away. This is this is angering, you know. And well, I think what you're what you're saying is you're trying to give people ways to process the scripture, the yeah. different scripture that they're uh, 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 that they're exposed to, mm-hmm. a different way of seeing it, a different lens through through which they can view it and understand it. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And okay. and, and and so getting into hermeneutics, um, there there are four major ways in which one can interpret scripture. The first one is I have I have a board of all this stuff in my office, so I'm cheating. Just want to let all you guys know, um, it is is literal. The the actual it is is a a literal meaning, which means what you are reading word for word is the 
actual meaning of what is trying to be said in the Bible. Okay. Um, this was a popular use of interpretation by like Martin Luther and John Calvin. Um, a lot of the times it's exactly, they said, all right, this is what the scripture says. This is word for word. This is exactly what it means. No interpretation needed for the most part. Um, and then what, then what people have a struggle with that is, is that it means that like words were divinely chosen. Um, right. This is the sola scriptura. Right. So that's, it is, it is. And, and so how people can have a problem with that is, is, uh, that means that when it was translated, that there is no error ever. You left no room for error at any point in time, even with all the human hands involved. And right. not only was there a divine dictaphone that God used, but God also was part of every process that mm-hmm. ever brought the scripture to you. So, I mean, I guess you have to pick a version at some point. Yeah. But once you pick that version, I guess for Martin Luther, it's, you know, the the German translation of the original yeah. Hebrew and Greek. That was set in stone. This is the word of God. It's mm-hmm. it's infallible. There's and, and God brought it to us in exactly this way. We got it exactly the way that we needed it. Case closed. And, and Sola Scripture, I don't want to miss uh, I don't want to mischaracterize that that's not just the the hermeneutical um, considerations that you're talking about that's this concept of what do we look at to determine what God's will is for us scripture only mm-hmm. we only look at scripture we sort yeah. of put blinders on we look at the scripture and how can we do that why can we do that because God breathed this scripture through a divine dictaphone through humans it was recorded and it you see it exactly how it appears, and then you're saying sort of one way, one way, uh, or one hermeneutical um, interpretive tool is understanding scripture literally. Yeah, and so it says what it says. That it mm-hmm. says, and and that's what uh, there's bumper stickers to that effect, right? Yeah, God said it. That settles it. Yeah, that's the whole bumper sticker. Right, and and sometimes I think it's true though. I think like when I'm reading James. I think James is pretty literal. I, I I don't I think that there's not a whole lot of need for you know oh maybe he was trying to say this or this or that you know James is pretty blunt you know and, and and so I mean that that comes into play definitely I think that to to say that you know that's an unnecessary way to look at scripture is is wrong um, but then you can you know then then arguments can come in about let's just you know, maybe a topic one day on the podcast is, you know, creation. And is it, you know, is it six literal days? Um, because, you know, God doesn't live in time. And so what is a day to him? Right. And so, you know, did it take six days or, you know, is this, is evolution potentially part of the process? You know, how, how does, what does that look like? Right. And so that's when, you know, looking at the scripture literally literal only, um, can maybe, like you said, put the blinder on and not allow other, other things, which, you know, makes sense. I don't think God is wanting us to rule out common sense sometimes, um, or, or things that we have learned over time. He's given us that ability and those gifts to learn and to adapt and Mm -hmm. to, and to grow. Um, so why would we be stuck, you know, with just this tunnel vision? And I, I don't, I don't, I, Roman's opinion time, you know, I, I don't think that that's how God would want us to look at every piece of scripture. I mean, mainly because there's three other different types of ways to interpret, which don't require that. Um, the second one being moral. So we have literal, which is just a plain meaning. And then moral, which is trying to find lessons within parts of scripture um, and that means kind of maybe looking at an understanding of what certain words could mean. Um, and it also means, it also doesn't necessarily mean that the scripture, um, the way that the story is told or whatever is, you know, whatever part of scripture you're reading is, is in an event that actually happened. That also starts to play into a couple other categories as well. Um, one of those stories being the prodigal son, there is, um, you know, there, there are thoughts that maybe that's not a real story, but you, there's a lesson from that, right? Um, the parables in general, right? Does that make sense? Brett, I feel like I'm talking a whole lot. Brett, that makes no, sense. No, go, right? go for it, man. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm eating it up and I've got, I've got, uh, I've got lots of thoughts and I just, I want to get it all out there. Let's sure. get the whole hermeneutical matrix out there. Yeah. Yeah. And then no, but what you're saying is, okay, so maybe 
there are parts of the scripture where, again, because we're kind of moving one step away from literal, where the fact that the story of the prodigal son mm-hmm. didn't his, wasn't a historical event yeah. doesn't take away from the fact that maybe there is a extremely important moral lesson. Yeah. I might even go one step further and say that for certain parts of the scripture, they're, uh, whether they are literal or I will say the historicity mm-hmm. of the narrative itself is maybe less important than the actual lesson to be learned yeah. from the story, right? I just put that out there. Sure. And we can talk more about that. I can't believe you said that. Um, <laughs> no, no I, I agree with you. Um, okay, so we've gone through literal. Hopefully we understand moral. I'm going to try to shorten this down because I feel like I talked about literal way too long. Um, and then there's allegorical. Um, a lot of people may have heard that Revelations is is a, an allegorical book, right. um, but it basically it's just a fancy way of saying it's essentially just like a metaphor, um, potentially foreshadowing, um, which is used in the Old Testament a fair amount. Um, yet again, it doesn't necessarily mean that those are real events that happened or that, that, that may even ha- that you know you know quote things have may, may happen in the future. And that's not necessarily what is being said when you're looking at it from an allegorical standpoint. Um, Are you telling me that we don't have any beasts and horses and trumpets <laughs> to look forward to? I thought that's exactly how it's supposed to play out, man. <laughs> it's uh, That might be a little bit scary, I think, in my opinion. I think that if... Um, well, I, so, so there's, a, there's a whole style of literature called yeah. apocalyptic literature, and that's yeah. that it was written in that style. And, it, and uh, other Jews at the time were writing in this apocalyptic mm-hmm. style. This wasn't the first apocalyptic yeah. text. Uh, definitely. So, right, it, it, it may be doing something else other than giving us again literal you know historical or in this case a a prophetic view of actually literally what will happen in the future yeah definitely and and uh, one of the ways to look at something that would be allegorical other than revelations is some people and i'm not i'm not necessarily saying this how i look at it or brad or anyone even particular that i know but i have seen that like people look at the story of noah's ark and how that could be a metaphor for a for the church, and like that whole. Man, you went story. a little too far with Noah's. I thought you were going to Job, <laughs> and you went to Noah's Ark. I'm sorry. Everybody knows that we had the Triceratops and the T Rex. They were two by two, right onto the Ark. <laughs> no, but Job is another example yeah. in the beginning where you've got Satan and and God sort of like throwing dice yeah. over Job. Mm-hmm. Like when you, if you actually go back and read the first chapter of Job, yeah. It's a little weird, mm-hmm. and you might start to ask, is this actually liter- is is the point of this story that God and Job, or that God and Job, that God and Satan were actually looking, you know, and pointing out people on the earth and mm-hmm. deciding, okay, uh, this is the one, you, you will remove your hedge of protection around this one, and then I will torture this one. And right. is that really the point of the story? Is that how things work? When yeah. your car breaks down, is it because God has removed his head hedge of protection around you? Maybe there's other ways to understand some of these stories. Yeah. You pointed out, Noah, I said you took it too far. Sorry, but, my bad. <laughs> but maybe, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you. no, you're good. So, okay, maybe Noah, maybe Job, maybe there are other examples um, where there's, there's, there's an allegorical meaning here Mm -hmm. and then there's one more and um it's and i i really hope i don't butcher it because i say it right maybe 30 percent of the time anagogical okay i think i nailed it that time wow don't do it again don't even try i'm not gonna say it again um and and basically that is like events that have taken place in biblical times are like precursors of events to come and um and also it's sort of getting into like the mystifying sort of mysterious sort of things like like numerology um or 666 yeah right seven right yeah 144,000 yeah, 40 12, 12 i mean like yeah. right i mean there's you could you could go way into that and right actually right. that's something that i want to talk about in the podcast at some point because i think numerology is fascinating right um and also really weird but i like it so anagogical two for two mm-hmm. um is is one that 
I probably use less than the other ones, mainly because, and I keep looking at my board, um, that I use maybe less than the other ones because it, it, it is almost absorbed into allegorical in and of itself because of foreshadowing. But um, actually in Catholicism, and I'm, and I'm going to say this wrong too, it's basically like the study of Mary and how, you know, basically how she lived her life is, you know, was divine and, and how now that affects the things that, you know, that women and other people can be a part of. And it's very, very interesting in like people's relationship with Christ. And it's just a cool, it's a, I mean, it's very interesting to study. Um, and that kind of falls into that anagogical, you know, tool of interpretation because right. it's things that happened in the past that now have a, a, a direct effect or kind of were precursors to what is currently happening. So, in review, um, you know, the, the tools of interpretation, a.k.a. hermeneutics, um, is a literal, which is a plain meaning, moral, which is finding lessons from the parts, from different parts of scripture, allegorical, which is uh, metaphorical and foreshadowing, and then anagogical are, is, you know, is looking at events that took place in biblical times that are now precursors to things or events that can happen now. So... That was a whole lot of talking from me, yeah. and a whole lot of um, class time. We can, you can. There won't be a test later, but we'll think about it. So, yes, Brad, take it away. Well, no, I, I think that's helpful. I think it's helpful, and I think one of the things that might also be helpful in this podcast is that you know we can both sort of give our perspectives on how we view and how we process scripture. I will tell you, I have been helped greatly. Um, by a couple of different people that that I've uh, that I've read, one of whom is is Pete Enns, um, another is uh, Richard Rohr, who really I think have have shaped in in many ways um, an evolution of how I view the scripture mm-hmm. and how I process the scripture. Because let's just let's just call things the way that they are. We have. You know, right now, there are something like in the world, like 30,000 different Christian denominations, mm-hmm. sects, yeah. groups, okay? Um, there's more than 1,200 just in the U.S., mm. all right? Um, and, and we're not talking about church buildings. We're talking about Christians that have divided themselves up. Yeah, And I just... I don't think we can have this discussion without noting for the record that one of the primary reasons that Christians divide themselves up is because of the way they do exactly what we're talking about today. It's because of the way they interpret scripture. So we can, you know, we can talk about the ways in which we look at scripture and the, the hermeneutical tools that we use to to read and to understand and to process scripture. But I think we have to do some work in acknowledging the, the biases, the, the, the processes that we use um, in order to sort of develop our own beliefs about what the Bible is, how it works, how we use it. So something that I'll put out there, this isn't a, I don't have it on the board. Um, but, uh, (laughs) But it's it's there's only three there's only three parts and I all I have to remember is tricycle. So uh, R- Richard Rohr uh, came up I think with this metaphor which I think is is good, um, but it's going to I think for most of our listeners when I say it, it's going to make you go <gasps> when I first say it is that you know in in determining how to use scripture or how to look at scripture, um, uh, Rohr says that, you know, you can think about it like a tricycle because number one, a tricycle is always moving. It's there's, Mm. there's motion involved and there's three wheels. And he says the front wheel is experience and the back two wheels are scripture and tradition. And that's what I mean by, uh, you know, when you hear like, wait, the front wheel, you mean the big one, the big one, the big one is experience. And Hmm. so the first time I heard that, I was really taken aback. And I was like, well, how in the world? What do you mean? It's a tricycle and only one of the three wheels is the actual scripture? Right. Like, I I don't get that. But I would say, think about that for just a few minutes. Think about this. Does your way of understanding the scripture, let's talk about tradition for a second, just for a second. Okay. So 
your way of understanding scripture, if we're, if we're really honest about ourselves and we go back to that 1200 different denomination and denominations and sects and groups and subgroups of Christians. Yeah. And, and guess what? Every non-denominational church says they're a Bible believing church. Yeah, they do. Even, even denominational churches say they're Bible believing church. So we all got the same 66 books. Sure. Yet notice how different beliefs in some cases very different beliefs mm-hmm. about what is said in the scripture and, and let's say we even all agreed on the same let's all use the NIV the newer national version right, right? yeah so what to me one thing at least one thing that's saying to me if I'm honest about it and especially when I turn it on myself is that so much of the way that I actually understand and interpret scripture is a function of on how it has been read, interpreted, and 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 lived out in my tradition. Yeah. And if we if we ignore that and we somehow think that we are the only ones who are actually reading it mm-hmm. and are actually interpreting it correctly, I think we are making the same mistake that maybe everybody else in the other 1200, you know, us wide groups is making and the other, you know, 30,000 groups in the world. Mm -hmm. We, we talked about this back to our very first podcast. We talked about, you know, we're not saying there needs to be fewer churches in the world. We're just saying that, you know, sometimes it can get a little ridiculous Mm -hmm. when, you know, you have churches with the same name on the door, you know, right across the street from each other because of largely because of what we're talking about right now, because of differences in interpretation. And so I'll go right back. Um, you know, I I don't want want to take too long, but what about experience? I mean that, you know, I can imagine a lot of people saying, well, wait, experience. No, no, no. We're supposed to go to the scripture. Well, here's the thing. If the way that you have come to understand scripture and live scripture, if it is not working for you, right? Right. Like if it does not work, period, then you are likely not going to continue in that direction. I think in some ways experience ties into tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, your experiences that you know, if you were born into a family, if your family of origin, you know, was within a tradition, your experience might be that if you say this type of thing, you know, back to your parents, they, you have the experience of receiving this sort of affirmation. If you say this thing back to your parents, yeah. you receive, uh, you know, a different response, but not just there. It could be at church, at school, if you went to a, a you know, a religious school. So I think, um, and, and back to my point, my original point about everyone sort of assuming that if they look at the scripture, how they interpret the scripture is the right way. It must be the right way. Yeah. Why? Because I interpret it that way. Mm-hmm. So by putting experience as the front tire, I think what one of the things Richard Rohr is suggesting is that we need to acknowledge our inherent personal bias in the way that we see scripture. And we need to understand that particularly if we're going to try to engage with other people who might have a different point of view, if they are coming at it, just think about it like this. If they are coming at it saying, all I ever do is look at scripture. I'm only on scripture. And you come at it and you say, all I ever do is rely on scripture. I'm only on scripture. There's no tradition. There's no experience. How can you ever come to an agreement? Yeah. Seriously, how could you ever agree? Because if they are just as steadfast that this is what it says, this is what I believe, there's I'm not being influenced by any tradition or any of my experiences, that if they're going to hold that position and you're going to hold that position, it becomes very difficult. Maybe it's not impossible, but very, very difficult to, to meet in the middle. Yeah, it's the idea of what we've been influenced by. I mean, I mean, it's exactly what you said. I mean, I grew up as a minister's kid in a predominantly southeastern culture um, minus St. Louis we won't get into that it's the greatest city of all time that's another topic for another day um, but I mean that has a heavy influence on how I just I even I look at scripture in general um, how I can um, you know look at at 
I mean, we talked about politics last week, you know, sure. how, how I, how I can view politics within scripture. Right. Um, and you know, in, in, in ways in which, you know, if, if I'm being probably really honest with myself, just selfish and how I want it to work for me. Right. Um, I, I want, I want scripture to line up with the way that I think. And so when I read it, that's most of the time how I'm going to, that's how it's going to be. And line up with the way that you live too. Right. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, you, you want to conform the scripture to your life, but let's be honest here. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody wants to completely rearrange their lives if they have been living in a way that they think they're living consistent with scripture. If, if some new preacher comes in and says, Hey, guess what? Sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and then do this other thing. You know, that that's a great sermon. Jesus even preached it one time. Yeah, he did. But <laughs> he did. But that's going to be incredibly disruptive. So I would I would say that that we are we have an inherent bias to not read the scripture disruptively to our own experience and to our own traditions. And I, I just think maybe we need to be more honest about that. It, and we can use these hermeneutical tools yeah. as we're reading through, absolutely. But I just want to make sure maybe there is a, a larger view of, okay, well, what are we, how do we see the, how do we see the scripture? How has this scripture always been used maybe in in our particular uh you know church group mm-hmm. right is there a way that this scripture always always gets used to where if somebody's you know if somebody's going to James yeah you know if somebody's going to James what are they going to hit in James and and what are we really doing we're reading the scripture are we reading the scripture to just sort of reinforce what we've already been taught and are we are we reading the scripture to reinforce our own experience and the way that we currently live and the way that and what we currently believe or are we actually reading the scripture and sort of trying to understand that when we view it we're more willing to acknowledge how tradition has seeped into our interpretive yeah. calculus mm-hmm. and how our experience does impact that. So maybe we start to see things in the scripture that we didn't see before. Yeah. I'm, I mean, getting into, I mean, one specific instance, one specific topic, women's role in the church. And I know that that is a very, for some churches, for churches that I grew up in, um, was a was a topic that was either highly debated or there was no debate at all because people just accepted what had been was had accepted the tradition I think and first Corinthians 14 used every time just oh you're a woman please go be quiet and sit down in that chair right and um you know growing up that was always you know I never questioned that growing up because well that the Bible says women should remain silent in the churches are not allowed to speak. Right. But d- divine dictaphone through Paul dictation. Correct. Paul said that. So yeah, that, we, that settles it. Seemingly apostolic command is like, Oh, well, why are we questioning any of these things? And you're like, Oh, well, Hmm. And now I'm married and I would struggle with the idea that there is, um, there's, there would be a boy in my youth group who you know will say he's a baptized believer that he could not go to my wife with questions, but growing up, not a thing, not possible. But and, but do you permit her to speak in the church? That's the that's the right, real ex- question. No, let me go back before you got married because I understand. You know, I I got married too, and I became a lot. Uh, you know, well, hopefully started to learn slowly learn more about women after getting married, (laughs) right? Slowly, slowly. But let's go before that. I mean, Mm -hmm. you had, I presume, had read the New Testament, right? Not, not just Paul's, you know, not just first Corinthians, but you, you'd read the New Testament. So how many times had you read over the word deaconess? Oh, right. In the New Testament. It's a thing. Yeah. Now you think about how many times that word shows up, okay, mm-hmm. in the New Testament. And if you think about what I'm talking about with the with the tricycle, now maybe you start to understand why Scripture is not the front wheel, if we're being honest. Sure. Because if Scripture was the front wheel, then 
what do we do with all those deaconesses? Like, what are we doing with all of those references? I can tell you what we're doing. We are absolutely, if we are saying, you know, women cannot have leadership roles, if we're saying that unequivocally and we're just focusing on Paul, is we are completely ignoring that scripture Mm -hmm. because of our tradition yeah. And because of our personal experience, like you said, in the church, it was either hotly debated or it was not because it was status quo and yeah. nobody was going to rock the boat. So I think, I do think we probably should put a pin in that one because oh, I'm getting, yeah. I'm already getting worked up and ready to hit that on another day. <laughs> and so that's coming soon. Yeah. Um, uh, because I feel very strongly, if you can't tell about that, that subject. No way, Brad. But, you know, I, I think it, it, we could come up with lots and, and, and oh, let's yeah. do it. I mean, there, there's lots of other examples, too, of, of looking at Scripture and things that you read right past. How about this? Let, I always like starting at the beginning, right? Chapter 1 of, of Genesis. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and the Hebrew word for God is this, is this plural, right? Mm-hmm. This plural. And it is a male word right mm-hmm. is a male word um second verse and the spirit of god hovered over the waters that word spirit is a female word right and the word hovering there is actually the word fluttering that's used to describe the only other times it's used in scripture is to talk about like a hen fluttering Mm -hmm. over her nest. So you have sort of, you have male God and then female God. The spirit is described as, as female. And then later at the end of chapter one, I'm not talking about the chapter two version of the creation story, the chapter one version of the creation story. It said, then God made man in his own image. You know, the, 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 again, it's translated that way, but male and female, in male and female. So in the second version of the creation story, male is made first and female comes from male. We can get into talking about the literal, you know, whether it's a, a whether it's a allegory or whatever, but in the first version of the creation narrative, God, when he makes, and I'm even using the word, the, the, the personification, he, when God creates male and female, it says that God creates in the image of God, both male and female as both are in the image. Mm-hmm. Now, if I, if nobody had ever, you know, taught me, or I've never learned about the Hebrew and about the male and female parts of that, or I hadn't focused on the fact that there's actually two different narratives of the creation story side by side in Genesis one and Genesis two, I might just sort of stick by the, oh, okay, well, the only way to understand this creation narrative is that woman came from man, mm-hmm. when that's not exactly what it says, even if we get literal in chapter one. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that that's why the, you know, I, I would not necessarily say that I am a, um, like a, like a book smart. Well, I don't really, no, I don't even know that's the right word to use. I, I like a, like, I'm not, I don't have like a, I'm not a planner. I'm not a write down an unbelievable amount of notes or any, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a free thinker. I'm a, somebody who kind of flies by see their pants. Right. Right. I really enjoy improvisation. Like I'm a, I'm a, a big fan of that because I think that, that you get, you kind of get to see more honesty in, in those, in that, in that way. Totally agree. And, and so, um, but there's a part of me that I, that really wants to take scripture seriously, that really wants to take how I convey that message, God's message. Like I, I want to do it the right way. And so I'm, maybe I, maybe I get too caught up in, you know, Oh, well, am I being literal? Am I being moral, allegorical or anagogical or whatever? Right. Like, am I, am I leaning one way or the other because of the influences that I have or because, you know, that's what my dad told me when I was five and that's stuck with me ever since, because that just makes that, that's just how it works. Um, and, and I, and I, I don't want to be wrong. I don't want my dad to be wrong. I don't want the church that I go to, to be wrong. And if they're, and if like they're wrong, then that means that what I've told all these people for this many years is wrong. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for saying that. I just, because there is a, there's like a, there's a generational weight 
on your shoulders, right? And, and yeah. on people who are listening to us, you know that, and I've taught, I've had recent conversations with people about this very topic, how, you know, well, wait, what if, if I view this differently, or if I change the way I look at scripture slightly, then does that mean that, that dad's wrong, that mom's wrong, that grandma's wrong, that, you yeah. know, that the church is wrong, that my school is wrong, that this is wrong. It, it's like, there is a, there is a weight to all of that, mm-hmm. right? There's a critical mass. And I think what we're saying is it, it's what well, you didn't say, it, but I'll put it in your mouth. That's tradition, right? Yeah. That's tradition and it's experience because it's so, it's so personal. Um, let me maybe suggest again, I, I'm, I promise I'm, I'm not trying to get us out of the, you know, the, the weeds and sort of doing the hard work of interpreting the scripture. But I do think it's just the way that I see it. Um, I maybe because I have sort of over time shifted the way that I look at scripture and I'll acknowledge it. It's probably in a different way. Um, you know, when I go to the church where my father grew up in, in Mississippi mm-hmm. and, and there's a sermon, um, I would say normally a typical sermon would have more than 50 scriptures quoted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, I'm I'm probably being conservative. Maybe it's as many as a hundred scriptures Golly. in a 25 minute sermon. I mean, literally, it's like it's just scriptures tied together with a few words. So it's very, very scriptural. Um, and and here's what I would say about that, right? So that there's my point of saying that is that there is a sort of a, a weight on me as well. You mm-hmm. know, for my you know my father who's a, a an elder, my grandfather who's who's an elder, and and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, the, a shift in the way I have viewed the scripture is I think that you can view the scripture as I'm sort of biting off again, uh, Pete ends here a little bit, but you can view the scripture as a, as a rule book, you know, like, like a, like a car manual or owner's manual or something like a book of rules. Here's what it is. It's a book of rules. Let's, if you're, what life situation are you in? Let's find the rule and let's implement it. Or, and and I would say that sermons that have a hundred scriptures in them in a 20 to 25 minute time frame, they probably view the, the, the preachers, the, you know, the prevailing view is probably viewing the Bible that way. That is a book of rules. And as long as you memorize as many of the rules as possible and you know how to apply them and you apply them correctly, you're going to be, you can know with certainty that you've done the right thing. The way that I have come to look at the scripture is more, and you were alluding to this before, I think, is more that it is perhaps a book of wisdom than it is a book of rules. That it is a book that is trying to cultivate wisdom in us. So it, it makes it no less valuable. It makes the stories no less valuable. It makes the teaching no less valuable. And, and what happens there is that our experience does come in. Our tradition does come in. Because if you you can read the scripture itself, Proverbs chapter one through nine, that's what the, you know, that's what Solomon, the teacher, is saying. He's saying, look, get wisdom. It's so important. Yes, there's these proverbs that are coming, but guess what? They're not just rules. They mm-hmm. are for you to try to develop wisdom. I'll give you just one example. Um uh, and they're right next to each other. It's beautiful. It's Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. So there's two different Proverbs right next to each other. The first one is uh, ch- uh, verse 4, chapter 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Mm-hmm. Very next verse. Mm-hmm. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. All right? So... Verse four and five, we've got diametrically opposed rules about whether you should or shouldn't answer a fool. So if this is a rule book, it has failed because it's just given us two rules that tell us to do opposite things. But if this is a book of wisdom, if that's what this book is trying to cultivate, if that's what scripture is doing, you know, in all these different ways, doing it literally, allegorically, all, all through all these different ways then maybe this is trying to get us to 
to lean into a situation, to think deeply, to think subtly about what would happen in this situation if I do answer. Maybe there are some situations where I shouldn't answer. Maybe there are some situations where I need to because of the specific, specific circumstances. And I think that at least that is my life experience. I think that is our collective life experiences is that even though there, there, there are some rules in scripture, I'm not saying there's not, I mean, we've got the 10 commandments for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. There, there's all sorts of rules. Um, there's all sorts of rules in the old Testament too, that we don't want to follow. Right. Yeah. And we, and we don't follow, but Again, when we run into situations, I think some of the most difficult situations in life, it's not they're not difficult because we know the right thing to do and we don't want to do it. Those do come up. But some are that it's really hard to know what the right thing is, and it's not because we don't know the scripture. Yeah. Well, you know, I think about you saying that, you know, it's it's not it's not just a rule book. I mean, I, I think of, of Jesus talking to Pharisees and Sadducees who are just, they're so, they're so strict and staunch on some of these rules. And he's like, woo. And they had to memorize. I mean, they, right. they, they didn't even need to, to read it. Yeah, they had yeah. to. And so it was, he's like, hey, like, are you, are we forgetting about grace? Are we forgetting about mercy and love and compassion? And you're like, man, that sounds so nice. Yeah. And, 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 but nothing he said wasn't scriptural. It was all still scriptural. It was just. He, he looked at it in a different way. He that, spoke it in a different way. Thank you. That's exactly, it's like he was somehow using it in mm-hmm. a different way. And there was something about the way that they were using it. I mean, it, I, I mentioned the seven woes, I think, last week or the week before. When one of the things he says is he talks about them. He, he sort of shouts them down for being, um, this is in Luke, he shouts the Pharisees down for being evangelists. He says, you know, you, you go across land and sea to win converts, and when you convert them, you make them twice a son of hell that you are. I mean, it's sort of like the most sort of over the top. Now it's Jesus saying it, but I think the one of the points there is that whatever they were doing and however they were using the scripture and whatever they were doing with it, Jesus wasn't very happy with it. Yeah. It wasn't the way he was using it and wasn't the way that he was trying to get people to use the scripture. Of course, the only scripture they had then were, you know, the, the old Testament scriptures. Yeah. So as we start to wrap up, we're at 51 minutes. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, it felt like this went by so fast, and, and I hope that it did for you listening, but it did yeah. for me. It, when when you go into your exegesis, and, and I get to use cool words today, it feels like. When you go into your exegesis, your mm-hmm. your actual interpretation, I, I hope that um, Brad and whoever's listening and myself um, included into this is that it's, it's we use what we have, which is experience, which is tradition, because not all tradition is bad. I mean, we, sometimes we like to look at it that way and sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. There are good things that sometimes that's why they continue. Well, but, other people's traditions can be bad, right? Sure. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's well, usually how it works. I'm also a baseball guy. So like I'm super into some of that tradition that is oh, yeah. also very nonsensical, but then, and, and, and there's also scripture. Uh, what, what I hope that we've been able to accomplish is to, to give you maybe a, a, a different idea or a different outlook on, on how it can be done on, right. you know, saying, okay, yes, I understand that this is, this is how I look at it because I, because this is how my grandfather looked at it or how my dad or, or how my church has looked at it. Um, or my mom or my, or mom. my wife yeah, or my ab- sister. Absolutely. Or my, I mean, yeah. right. And that's, that's tradition just like literally. That's what I'm out saying. I mean, but we could start to see these things, how they've impacted us yeah, uh, and, a little bit. And so as, as you go into, you know, looking at that, that, that I, that what you struggle with, right? Like maybe you're we, back to women's role or, or you're, yeah. you're looking at, at, at baptism or instrumental music or, um, you know, homosexuality. I mean, when you're looking at any of these things, you know, use your experience, use what you've been given already by, you know, the people around you, which I personally think is through God anyway, um, and, and the scripture that God has given you so that you can make wise decisions in, in what God is trying to tell his people. But, but I hope that you look at it through the eyes of you being able to tell someone and not just for you, because that allows, I think, for that, that personal bias to creep in. And, 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 and hopefully when you're thinking about giving it to somebody else, you're trying to give them pure, you know, righteous, holy, you know, you know, wisdom and, 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 and I mean, I guess scripture in of itself, but, 
but something that will be will be helpful, right? Right, and and what will genuinely give them the best opportunity to have a relationship with God that is, you know, not laden with what you think is best, but what God thinks is best. Yeah, and and the one, and I think we've we've been down this road before. It's always a very short step between what we think is best and what God thinks is best, yeah, it right? Is. It because is. if God didn't think it was was best, then we wouldn't think it either, right? Like we're we're not thinking it, yeah. unless we believe that it's it's God. But I think maybe what you're saying is that we got to be careful how we communicate that, yeah, to people because there's certainly one uh, event. I, I want to talk about evangelism. We're going to do an evangelism sure. week, right? Yeah. But there's one tool without getting too deep into it, and as we wind up, there's one way one method of evangelism with, with respect to the scripture that you essentially approach people to people who may be part of the 1200 different other denominations other than yours. You're right. the one, they're the 1199 other mm-hmm. uh, denominations or groups in, in the United States. And you say, Hey, uh, here's a Bible. Oh, you're familiar with it, but let me show you what this really means. And yeah. guess what? We have the, our, our sect, our, our denomination or our non-denomination, we've got the truth market cornered. We have actually figured out exactly what all these things mean. And the other 1199 groups, they're wrong. Yeah. How do I know they're wrong? Because they're different than us. So there is a way of using the scripture like that, that to me, I it might even have some effectiveness. But I think once you start, um, once you start getting uh, once you start getting into second generation, once you start having kids and once you start uh, kids are interacting in the world. And, and once these, uh, some of these ideas get put to the test in our real world, in our society, once they get put to the test by experience, yeah. once experience gets rubbed up against tradition and scripture, there can be a significant breakdown. If the only thing you've ever been taught is guess what? We're, we're right because we wouldn't be doing it unless we were right. And we are the only ones who are. So I think if there's one thing I'm saying, I'm not going to put this on you, Roman, you can, okay. All right. <laughs> you can wrap up the way you want to, <laughs> but for, for me to wrap up, I would say, man, I, I hope that we look at, at scripture humbly, mm-hmm. um, without the assumption that we have all the answers yeah. and you know, we, we come to it with, a, with very broad view and you know an overused term and an open mind understanding that we have been greatly influenced by our tradition and by our experience not just the scripture right because back to a point i made earlier if we don't at least have that humility and that openness that we might might not have it exactly right or we might be wrong how in the how presumptuous would it be for us to expect other people we engage to have that same openness, but yeah. yet we don't have it ourselves. Are we asking something of them that we ourselves are not willing to do? To me, that's 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 not right. It's just not. It's not. It's not a uh, a humble, uh, merciful, loving way to approach scripture and to approach other people when we're talking about scripture. Yeah, and you made a comment near the beginning that I has kind of been stuck in the back of my head the whole time, and you said that. Well, you were starting to say that, like, you know, maybe you're hopefully or you know, less churches, but then I think you actually said, well, not that I'm wanting there to be less churches. And I, and I know what you were trying to say. I mean, you're not like, let's get rid of churches. Let's get, you know, I, I, you weren't trying to like say all that. All churches need to consolidate into 10,000 right. churches. Or- but I am going to say that I do wish there were less churches. I yeah. wish we were able to have the attitude you, I wish more people, myself included, were able to have the attitude that you were talking about yeah. um, so that we could be unified. Yes. And 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 that we didn't have to have all these churches because No, I agree. We, I agree 100%. Yeah, and and I and I and I and I just I wanted to say that because I I I think it's it falls perfectly in line with what we're talking about. Yeah. If we if we're able to come humbly to the table to be able to commune with one another and just you know figure out you know maybe where each other's coming from instead of just I'm right, you're wrong, whatever this us versus them, which I think we've talked about in every yes. single podcast. Yeah, it all kind of comes back, it, but it's it's true. And so I have had such a good time talking about this. I mean, and I feel like I could go on for another like three hours. No, we we could. I mean, it, it feels like we're just through the intro and I, I'm going to let you close out. But the one thing you said, I've got to follow up on, which is, you know, as, as much as we both love the scripture, I, I know we both do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been, you know, impactful in our lives. 
it is the truth that the scripture has also been the dividing uh, rod for for Christianity. It's the scripture, right? So it it is wonderful, but it also um, has. And when I say it's the scripture. It's not actually the scripture of the words. It's how we come to it yeah, definitely. and what we put on it, how we use it, how mm-hmm. we see it. So it's, it's so uh, paradoxical in that way is that, yeah. you know, we want to be unified because the scripture tells us to be right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's the scripture and the ways that we use it and the ways we interpret it that unfortunately creates division. So hopefully we can find ways um, you know, to, to eliminate that division. All right, man, I'm sorry. This was good. I agree. Well, sweet deal. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to do this. I'm looking forward to next week where we talk about creation versus evolution, the whole science fighting faith, however that works. Right. And I think it falls right in line or it's a good follow up to for this week. Right. And so, um, I'm glad we're able to do this. Really looking forward to next week. Thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, hopefully you're with us next week. Uh, Have a blessed day.